so Acts chapter 4, we heard most of chapter 3 is taken up with Peter's sermon after the healing of a man who'd been crippled, we'll find out, for over 40 years. An amazing healing. And then as people were rushing and giving Peter and John attention, they point everyone to the one who really did this healing, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the result of the healing and their preaching in the temple. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be to to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who uh, were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them, let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Making the point, he had been crippled over 40 years. 
When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, that's the quote from Psalm 2. And then he goes on in this prayer, one person praying and everyone agreeing. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you'll see our outline, the, the, the title, The Witness of the Good News. Here Luke is bearing witness of Jesus Christ. This is Luke's witness of what has happened in Christ. And we'll see first a, a longer section, The Witness of the Resurrection, with the glorious words of Peter about who Christ is. Then we'll have the witness of the signs in general, but it's this sign in particular, of course, the healing of this crippled man. And then finally, the witness of their praise at the end. So three ways that we have Christ proclaimed to us to help convince us to believe in the Lord Jesus. First, this uh, witness of the resurrection most of chapter 3, as I've said, was taken up with Peter's teaching in the temple. And in verse 2 of this chapter, Luke summarizes his whole message with these words. He was proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. In Jesus is the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection, Luke is saying, is found in Jesus. This is what Peter says. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is in me. The resurrection is because of me. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, it cracked open resurrection. Right there. Resurrection enters into creation for the first time. And it will not cease its powerful working until all of God's people are finally resurrected from the dead in the final day and the whole creation is renewed. 
In fact, in chapter 3, Peter had just spoken of the restoring of all things. It will happen because Jesus is raised from the dead. Recently, we saw that part of Castaway where Tom Hanks' character finally creates fire, right? And when the tender he had been feverishly worked on finally, finally burst, began to smoke and it burst into a little flame, they edit so well and go immediately to the great bonfire on the beach with Tom Hanks dancing and singing, Come on, baby, light my fire, right? Bad imitation, but there he goes. And so this first little tiny flame, you see, cracked open the possibility of fire on this little island. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, it opened resurrection. Resurrection entered this world. And so the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 that we saw, that's because of the resurrection of Christ. The, the number of men coming to be 5,000, as we read, that's because of the resurrection of Christ. Hundreds of millions of people around the world worshiping God through Jesus Christ, that's because of the resurrection of Christ. The bonfire is spreading every day and will spread every day in this world. Now, we read that the Sadducees were greatly annoyed. You see, they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead or even in an afterlife. So they didn't like them teaching anything at the temple. They especially didn't like this. But notice, as they arrest Peter and John, Luke makes the statement, and the number of just the men came to be 5,000. So no matter what they do, no matter what anyone does in the world, anyone in power, anywhere, no matter what they do, they cannot and will not stop the onslaught of the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the mission of the resurrected, reigning Jesus Christ, who is Lord. So, the next day, they bring them into their presence and they say, who gave you this authority? Where did all this come from? And here's Peter. You want to know this, what, about this kindness done? That's what that means, good deed, this good deed, this kindness done to this crippled man who is healed? It's because of Jesus Christ, the one from Nazareth, whom you crucified. Yahweh. The God you say you worship, Yahweh, raised this Jesus Christ from the dead. And Jesus Christ did this, not us. Imagine what that, how that sounded to these men. How, how grievous it sounded to them. This one that they had put away and now all of the city is filled with these words that Jesus Christ is alive and he is working. And then he goes on to quote from Psalm 118, uh, which Jesus also used applying to himself. But he, Peter applies it directly to them. 
he makes it clear that Christ is the stone, and he makes it clear that you are the builders that rejected the corner, the stone, the, uh, which, and this stone that you rejected becomes the cornerstone. Now, this refers not to a foundation stone, but it refers to the top stone of a building that was in those days essential to the overall structure of the building. And that, that top stone consummated the whole building process. It integrates the whole building and stands supreme over the whole building. And so Peter says, Christ whom you crucified, whom you rejected, he is the cornerstone. Do you see, Jesus then is the capstone of the people of God. He is the head and shepherd of the people of God. And by rejecting their Messiah, these leaders of the Jewish people were putting themselves, even themselves, outside the Jewish people of the true people of God. Only those who belong to Jesus, Messiah, are now the temple of God. These Jewish leaders themselves must believe. They must depend on Jesus Christ to save them. And if we reject Jesus, we cease being the people of God. In rejecting Jesus, they were no longer the people of God. This, and if this applies to the Jews, it applies to any religion that does not lead to Jesus Christ. For he is, salv- is the salvation that God offers. And as Peter says here, there is salvation in no one else. No other name given. That means no person giving, given. No one who can. No one who has the power. No one who has the capacity. The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only Savior that mankind has. The only Savior for any woman, for any man, for any girl, for any boy. Yet he offers himself to every single person in the world. And I ask you, who has come to deal with sin and punishment that we deserve? Who? Who has submitted himself to the full punishment of God's wrath, God's judgment on sin, all the way to physical death itself? Who? In the words of Hebrews, who has made purification of sins and now offers it to anyone? Who? Who, because he's died on behalf of others, not because of his own sin, was raised from the dead to conquer death itself and now offers to us to be able in the last day to be raised from physical death. Who? Who offers it? Who's even concerned about that? Who's been raised into a whole new kind of life of power and glory already 2,000 years into it? And who offers to anyone full 
permanent forgiveness and cleansing of their sins, who offers the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to become God's dwelling place through the Spirit, and then offers this final resurrection into the same life of power and glory. Who has dealt with the real human problems of every person in this world? Who? There is no other Savior. It is Jesus. Jesus alone. See, this word saved as that he uses is the same word used in verse 9 to describe the crippled man as being healed. And so you see the analogy. We must be healed spiritually. We must be healed of not trusting God, not adoring God, not gladly, eagerly obeying God. We must be healed and forgiven. And even physically, I ask you, what will you do? We are all physically crippled in the sense we are all headed for death. We are all terminal patients. It's the sign of our spiritual brokenness, the physical death that's in the world. No one escapes it. Every human being needs Christ's resurrection. And of course, we're here to call you, urge you, believe in him. Believe in him, this one who is raised from the dead. But then, with the witness of his resurrection, or you might say, extending the witness of his resurrection, is the witness of this sign of this healed man. And you, you, you feel the problem of these Jewish leaders. There's really nothing at all that they can say. The man whom everybody knows has been crippled for over 40 years, crippled since birth, He's standing right there and all Jerusalem knows that it has happened. They can't deny it. They, they wanted to punish them, but they just couldn't because everybody was praising God for what happened to this man. So you kind of add it up and you think, what are they going to do about this? But I want to urge you, you add it up. What are you going to do about this? You see, Luke, in presenting this, is proclaiming Christ to us. This healing anticipates the glory to come when all things will be healed. But it also is a sign of the very present authority and presence of the exalted Christ. The presence and authority of Christ to save. Luke wants to convince all people on earth of who Christ is that they might put their trust in him. And so we have to ask, what am I going to do with the fact that this man who is crippled for 40 years is healed? And he's healed because they called upon Jesus Christ. And, you know, if this, the leaders wanted to end this whole thing, they could just Show the body. Oh, just squelched it all. Just bring the body forward. Look, they say he's raised from the dead. He's, in, he's been in the grave all this time, and here's his body. They couldn't do it. There was no body. 
They could not refute what had happened. And I want to ask, what do you do with this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for sinners? That God raised him from the dead? And that he offers you forgiveness that's just as real as the healing of this crippled man. That's the challenge of this text to each one of us. Do you believe him for your own healing and restoration? For your own forgiveness for resurrected life in the last day? For being with God forever in the new creation? Will you believe in this one who healed a man who was 40 years crippled? That's the challenge of this passage. His perfect healing also announces that no person's sin is too great to be forgiven. The healing is complete. No sinful life is beyond his healing and restoration, putting us back together over time uh, to become whole people that give ourselves away to others. He takes on every single case that is entrusted to him, and in the last day, every case is made perfectly whole forever. Quite a promise from quite a physician. And of course, when they try to squelch them, they respond, and I, I like the way it's put in the NIV, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. Or the New Living Translation, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Right? You see, they're convinced, Peter and John, that they are representing the God of Israel, not these leaders of Israel. And of course, they're just stunned. How can these untrained laymen speak with such ability and freedom? Uh, the word is boldness, but it means these things as well. And they're speaking to Jewish scholars, untrained men. And of course, they remember they were with Jesus. And what was it said of Jesus? The Jews marveled at one point and said, how is it that this man, Jesus, has learning when he's never studied? See, the same thing with Jesus. Now they see it in them. And they, they, they claim that Jesus is raised from the dead. They claim that he's done this miracle. Jesus' authoritative teaching was, was accompanied by these affirming miracles. And now their authoritative teaching is accompanied by these miracles, I mean, what's a Sadducee to do, right? But you notice the connection between the filling of the Holy Spirit and their boldness or their freedom of speech. In verses 8 and 13, and then later in the chapter, in verses 29 and 31, it's a bit of a theme, isn't it? This boldness, this freedom to speak the word of God. And it's glorious that we learn this is not something that you grow into so to speak it's not a moral virtue required by repeated exercise it's a gift and it's one that they need to continue to seek because they were bold in verse 13 but here they are in verse 29 asking again give us boldness 
They know what it's like. They had their own experience when they were falsely bold. When Jesus said, hey, you need to pray. You need to be careful because uh, all of you are going to fall away from me tonight. This is the night which he was arrested. And they said, no, no, none of us are going to fall away. Even Peter said, they all may fall away, but I'm not going to fall away from you. And he kept saying, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you not fall into temptation. And they didn't. They weren't bold in that day, in that evening. And brothers and sisters, this is encouraging. They know their weakness, and they're continually praying for boldness. And we can pray for that same freedom of speech. The Holy Spirit does many things in beautifying our lives, but here's an essential thing this passage is telling us. He gives his people boldness, freedom to speak. And later we read in chapter 8 and chapter 11 that when all the people of God were scattered because of persecution, they all went around, in a sense, gossiping the word of God, talking about this Christ. That can and will mark us as the Holy Spirit blesses us and fills us. So let's believe because of this great sign Let's believe in what was accomplished and what can be accomplished for us. And all the more, may God give us a boldness to speak it. And then finally, briefly, the witness of this praise as they call upon God who made all things. Real uh, rooted Old Testament language here. And then the one who's directing all things after his plan. You see, it doesn't change the fact that These men had done all these wicked things. They really did them and they chose to do them. And they're responsible for what they did. Nonetheless, he says, all of it was predestined by God. Planned by God. Even in this wickedness, God is working his plan. Even through their wickedness and by their wickedness, God worked his plan to save a world of sinners Through his own son. One scholar writes this. Under persecution we can discover that he is a God who wins by letting our opponents win. And then transforming the expected results. See? So they're not praying in the end for deliverance. Really. They could. And sometimes the people of God do. But they weren't praying for deliverance. They weren't praying for judgment upon their enemies. They were praying for boldness, for the freedom to speak the word of God. They know that word cannot be bound. And in the midst of all the signs done in Scripture, in in Acts, which kind of recall the Exodus signs to point to the great act of God in salvation, at the end, the very last verse, it says Paul was there in Rome proclaiming the kingdom and talking about Jesus Christ. That's the ongoing message. That's what the church did and does. And so God is always working out his plan, even in the midst of the greatest tragedies and evil. This is the greatest evil ever done in the world. What greater could be? And yet the greatest good was accomplished. Let's argue from the greater to the lesser. The evils done to us, the evils that we have experienced, that we see in this world, 
Nothing ultimately will hinder God's goodness coming to you, God's goodness coming to his people, and God's goodness stretching out to gather all of his people throughout the world. So, the resurrection, the sign of a healed man, this glorious sign of praise of the God who rules over all things. What a glorious Jesus to serve. We again call you, trust in him for forgiveness. Trust in him for new life. Trust in him that you one day will be raised from the dead and live with him in the new creation. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all that you have done for your people in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the full extent of what you did to win us for yourself. And we thank you that you rule over all things and you will accomplish your mission in and through your church until the last day. We rest in you, mighty King Jesus. Amen.